Now, um, if those children who are going to Sunday school uh, could leave now. Um, and the rest of us, uh, if you've lost that place in the Bible where we're at, do please turn back to it, uh, Daniel chapter 5. And um, I'm not going to read the whole passage again, but uh, I'll just read the, 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 the verses which we will be particularly focusing on uh, this morning, which is verses uh, 20. 5 to uh, 28. So that's on page 882 if you want to have uh, the passage open in front of you. Daniel chapter 5 and verse 24. Sorry, verse 25. And this is the writing that was inscribed many uh, sorry many many tackle and parson this is the interpretation of the matter many god has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end tackle You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So keep your Bible open and let's now uh, draw near to God in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you that you have spoken to us through your word. And what happened many years ago is recorded for our benefit that we might learn from it and that we might hear your voice speaking to us today. We pray, Father, that every one of us old and young, believer or not believer at this point in time, we pray that every one of us would hear your voice speaking to us and that we would respond as you would have us respond. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there is this expression, isn't there, that we often use uh, in everyday English. The writing is on the wall. And of course what people mean by that is, well, you've been warned. You're in trouble. Disaster is coming your way. Sometimes People use it about a government. You can see that they can see that a government is about to fail. And they say, well, the writing is on the wall for that government. Or, or for a, a, uh, maybe for a, a company. You, you can see that the, the figures are all going down. They say, hey, the writing's on the wall. That company's in real trouble. It's going gonna, it's gonna to collapse. I wonder how many people know that that expression 
comes from the Bible. Well, it's based upon a story in the Bible. It's based upon this story that is here that we read today from Daniel chapter 5 when, when a hand appeared and literally started writing on the wall. Uh, what had happened was that um, this was uh, about 600 years before Christ or 500 uh, years before Christ came into this world and uh, uh, it's in Babylon and uh, there was a, a man who was reigning over Babylon at the time. His name was Belshazzar. Now, Belshazzar was perhaps that we don't know for definite his relationship with Nebuchadnezzar. Perhaps he may have been the grandson of, of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the emperor of Babylon who had, who had, who had invaded lots of countries around and had taken lots of people captive and he'd, he'd invaded, one of the countries he invaded was, was, was Judah. He had, he had conquered uh, Jerusalem He'd taken, he destroyed the temple and he'd taken the treasures from the temple and he brought them back to Babylon. Now Nebuchadnezzar had been a very, very proud man. And he was, you know that saying, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Well he had absolute power. He could do whatever he wanted. And he thought of himself as this really great, marvelous, fantastic person. Nobody could stop. But God humbled him. And he caused Nebuchadnezzar to lose his sanity for a while. And, and he had to go and live in the, in, in, in the countryside and, and eat grass like an animal. And his fingernails grew really long like claws. And, and he was out there drenched with the rain of, of heaven. Until he acknowledged that God, the God of the Bible, is the great and almighty God. Now, this man Belshazzar, he knew all of this because Nebuchadnezzar had publicized what had happened to him. He'd written an edict or like a, a proclamation which was to be read out throughout the whole empire. And that is recorded in chapter five, uh, chapter four, previous chapter. And uh, and and in this, he describes how God humbled him, and he brought him to the point of have, of true faith in God. And he concluded that, uh, if you just turn back over the page, um, verse thirty-four. Of uh, chapter 4. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven. My reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High. I praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures for, from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him what have you done and he said then at the end 
He said, verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Now this was public knowledge. This was broadcast throughout the whole Babylonian Empire. Belshazzar will have read those words or heard those words being read out and he'll have no doubt have heard from Nebuchadnezzar, his father, his grandfather's own lips his account of what had happened. And he'll have seen the transformation which happened to this man. This, this very, very proud man was humbled. And that will have changed his entire demeanor. And yet, although he knew all those things, when he had the opportunity, in his pride and arrogance, he brought out these goblets, from the, which the sacred goblets from the temple, and he drank from them, he, and he got encouraged all his guests to drink from these goblets. And as they were drinking, he, they praised false gods. They praised the false gods of, of wine and, 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 and other false gods as they as they as they um, as they drank uh, from these 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 goblets they praised the gods of gold and silver bronze iron and wood and stone what was he doing by that he was basically insulting Deliberately and knowingly insulting the living God. And that's when this hand appeared. As he was doing this, this hand appeared. And this writing started to be written in the plaster on the wall. <laughs> and the party changed. The mood, the music stopped. The celebration ended. The king's face went pale. His knees started knocking. He was desperate to find out what was going on, what had happened. He called for all of his, his soothsayers and astrologers and, 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 and fortune tellers. Got, got, so tell me, what's, what's, what's he saying? But they couldn't give an answer. Then the queen mother came in and, and she reminded him of what had happened with with Nebuchadnezzar. She reminded him about Daniel. He, of course, he knew all these things. And he said, she said, you need to get Daniel. Get Daniel to explain to you. So then Daniel was called in. And uh, Belshazzar said, oh, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a purple robe. I'll give you the third ruler of the kingdom if you can tell me what these words are saying. Daniel says, I, you can keep your favours but I'll tell you what they're saying. And that's where we come to our text now. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Peris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So God was saying to Belshazzar, 
through these words, that his days were numbered. God was saying to him, he'd been weighed in the balance and found wanting. His life was not right. And God was saying to him that his kingdom is going to be taken away and going to be divided. Now, that message which God spoke to Nebuchadnezzar was, of course, specifically relevant to him and the situation that he was in and specifically relevant to the sins that he had committed. But there is a relevance of this message to us all because there's a sense in which those three things that God said to Belshazzar are true for us as well. Our days are numbered. Our lives, when put in the balance of God's standard, when measured up against God's standard, fall short. They don't weigh enough. And our kingdom, (laughs) such as it is, is going to be taken from us. Our dominion over this world, if we're not saved, will be taken from us. And all those who are not saved will be thrown into hell, where they will suffer torment forever and ever. And so there is this, there's a direct relevance of what was said to Belshazzar to us today. And so we need to listen to these words. And it's my hope and prayer that as we think about these words, if there is anybody here this morning who as yet does not have a true saving knowledge of Christ, that that person will be moved to come to Christ and seek Christ for salvation. And it's also my hope and prayer that that for those of us who are already saved, God will use what is said to help us to realize what God has done for us and to help us and to move us to serve him more wholeheartedly and also to, uh, to speak to others about the need that they are in. So let's think about the, this, this, these words that were, that were said to Belshazzar. And we'll do so under those three headings that, 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 that we've mentioned. First of all, your days are numbered. Secondly, you've been weighed and found wanting. Thirdly, your kingdom is taken away from you. So let's think about these three things this morning. First of all, your days are numbered. God says uh, through his prophet Daniel that the interpretation, verse 26, is many, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. 
There's just a very limited amount of time left for you, Belshazzar. And then after that, your life will be over. Your kingdom will come to an end. Well, that's true, isn't it, for everybody who is in this room this morning? God has numbered the days of your life. You and I, we only have a a limited period of time left on this earth. Day by day, week by week, on the radio we have an announcement of yet another person who's died. Uh, people we know, we hear of, who are, who are day, dying week by week by week by week. And one day it'll be your turn, one day it'll be my turn. Our days are numbered. And this is something which the Bible constantly speaks about. Psalm 90 uh, speaks about this. Moses says um, uh, in verse 5 of Psalm 90, he says, You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is withered, renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Verse 9. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Isaiah also talks about this. Isaiah 40 and verse 6. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and its beauty like the flowers of the field, the grass withers and the flowers fade when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And those verses are quoted by Peter also in 1 Peter chapter 1 as summarizing the Christian message. Life is short. Our beauty such as it is is quickly gone and we fly away and then we face eternity. God has fixed that day when you will die. You can't change it. You might try to do various things to avoid it, but you will not be able to avoid it. That day is coming. Your days are numbered. What's the significance of this? Well, the significance of the fact that our days are numbered is that death is the gateway to eternity. The condition that you are in when you die is the condition that you will be for millions upon millions upon millions of years. Unending. If you are right with God when you die you'll go straight to the presence of Christ and then when Jesus comes again you'll have a resurrection body and you'll enjoy the new heavens and the new earth forever and ever but you, if, if you are not right with God when you die 
then you'll go to a place called Hades, a place where the unsaved wait in a place of torment and fire until the resurrection. And then at the resurrection, you'll be raised from the dead, you'll face the judgment day, and then you'll suffer torment forever and ever and ever in hell. So that day when you die is a momentous day. It's a very, very, very serious day. And you don't know when that's going to be. And we live in dangerous times, don't we? We've just been through a terrible uh, pandemic when many friends died. There's talk about the possibility of, of some nuclear Armageddon. We don't know if that's going to happen. We pray it won't happen. But who's to know? Who's to know if, if even tomorrow or tonight President Putin might press that button which might set off a set, set of events which, and we're, we're blasted into oblivion. And so it is so important to get right with God while you can. And if that doesn't happen, we sooner or later a disease will come up upon you. And, and it, sometimes these things come very quickly. You, you, you go and see the doctor, you feel a little bit down, and you learn you've got cancer, and bang, suddenly you're into palliative care situation and soon you're gone. Or some other disease can take you very, very quickly. Or an accident. Or economic collapse. Who's to know what, what is going to happen to us? But what we do know, we don't know when we're going to die. But one thing is certain. We will all die. Our days are all numbered. Second thing we see that God says through this writing on the wall to uh, Belshazzar. You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. God has put Belshazzar's life in the scales. Is there a sufficient weight of goodness about this man? Answer, no. He's been found wanting. He's been found to be too light in good deeds and too heavy in bad deeds and so this man is on his way to judgment God is going to be deal with him, dealing with him because his life has been weighed and has been found wanting now as we've already mentioned Belshazzar, he almost sort of seemed to go out of his way to try to provoke God. He knew all about God, he knew all about his greatness, and yet he, he, he almost as if he said, come on God, do something to me. And, and he, he almost was inviting God's judgment upon him. The way he got those, he knew those vessels from the temple were sacred. He knew that uh, the God who, who um, 
in whose worship they were used uh, was the true and living God. And yet he deliberately used them as part of a drunken feast. And he deliberately praised false gods as he did so. But just in case we might think, oh, well, I'm not guilty of such things. I don't show contempt for God in the way that Belshazzar showed contempt for God. What are you doing when you use the name of Jesus as a swear word? Are you not showing contempt for God? Or when you say, you know, OMG or or take God's name in vain, casually in conversation. What are you doing? But showing contempt for God. What are you doing when you are feeding your idols, your pandering after your idols, whatever that idol might be for you, whether it's your, your sport that you follow, the team that you follow, whether it's, it's this particular celebrity, or whether it's your home improvements, or your, your money, or your education, your status at work, what are you doing when you are living for your idol? When you're, you know, you're in your mind cherishing your idol and, and going over it in your mind and thinking, oh yes, oh, I do love my idol. What are you doing? You're showing contempt for God. What are you doing when you go on the internet and you look at pornography and you lust after people? That's showing contempt for God, isn't it? What are you doing when you, when you uh, lose your temper and say cruel things to other people? Well, who are those people? They are precious people, human beings made in the image of God. If you show contempt for a human being, you're showing contempt for God. What are you doing when you tell lies or you don't really say things as they really are? Well, you're, you're showing contempt for the God of truth. Or when you uh, overindulge alcohol or you play around with drugs, what are you doing? Well, you're showing contempt for God because he's made your body. Or when you abuse your body, when you harm yourself, you're showing contempt for the God who made your body. Or when you neglect to worship God, you know that you should be meeting with the Lord's people, but you think, oh, well, today I won't bother. There's a football match on. I want to watch that instead. Oh, I need to do a few home improvements. I'll just skip church today and I'll go off down to the DIY shop. Oh, uh, no, actually it's a sunny day. I'll go, to, I'll, go, I'll go to the beach instead. What are you doing when you neglect to worship God? Are you not showing contempt for God? Now, our problem... Very often is that we we don't realise just how bad our sin is because we tend to 
view sin in terms of what you can see on the outside. So you read in the news of some terrible event when some guy goes on a shooting spree and kills a load of children. And you think, oh, that's so terrible. How could anybody do anything so awful? Which it is awful, terrible. But we forget that God judges us not just according to the physical acts that we do, but according to the words that we speak. Wounding words. Jesus said, if you say to your brother, you fool, you're in danger of the fire of hell. You've not hit him, but you've insulted him. You've hurt him with your words. That's a very serious thing in God's sight. But it's not just your words, it's your thoughts. See, Jesus said it's not just have you committed adultery with somebody physically, but he said if a man looks at a woman with lust in his eye, he's already committed adultery with her in his heart. God knows your thoughts. And he will judge you for the thoughts and the desires that you allow to lodge in your heart. Things like greed, bitterness, resentment, unthankfulness. They're not things which are outwardly visible. Maybe, you, maybe other people might, unless they know you very well, they won't know that these things are there. But God can see. And the problem is that these thought sins contaminate our lives. So that everything that we do is touched with these thought sins. People sometimes say to me, and I'm talking to them, oh, well, you know, I, I, I try to do a few good deeds to make up for my bad deeds. And I hope that if I do a few good deeds, then my good deeds will pay for my bad deeds and I'll be okay I'll be able to get into heaven so they, they've got this idea you know scales you know they've got the good deeds scale pan this side they've got the bad deeds scale that side and they hope that the, the good deeds pan goes down and the bad deed pan goes up and it tips in their favour and so they're into heaven but the trouble is the Bible says all our righteous acts are like a filthy rags. The good deeds pan is empty. Because even when you're trying to do good deeds, there's wrong motivations, wrong desires, and so on and so forth, which contaminate your good deeds. And so this is true for all of us. Found in the scales, weighed, and found to be found wanting not weighing enough morally now Belshazzar's sin was aggravated by the fact that he was sinning against knowledge 
He knew that God was the living God. He knew, he could see the way that his dad or his granddad, whichever it is, had been changed. The problem for, all, for, for probably for many of us here in this room, and probably many who will listen to this online, is that we're sinning against knowledge as well. Because we've got our Bibles. Many of us have read the Bible. Many of us have heard the Bible from our youngest days. Probably all of us know true Bible-believing Christians who've been born again, who've been changed by the Word of God. So none of us can say, oh, I, I didn't know about God. I mean, everybody knows about God from the creation anyway, so nobody can say they're, they're, they're without guilt. But we... For us, the sin is aggravated. We're more guilty because we have more knowledge. Uh, when Jesus was alive on this earth, he, um, he, he denounced the cities where he'd done the miracles. It's recorded in, in Matthew 11, verse 20, that Jesus said, Woe to you, Chorazin, and woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the, day, on the judgment, day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And for you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to the heaven? You'll be brought down to Hades, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. These people had seen mighty miracles. The dead being raised, the blind being able to see, the deaf being able to hear, the lame being able to walk. But you know, if you, are a, if you have met true Bible-believing Christians who have been born again, you have seen bigger miracles than those people saw. Because there's no bigger miracle than somebody having his heart changed by the power of Christ. So, where does that leave you? Where does that leave me if you don't repent of your sins? You're in trouble because you have seen the power of God at work in people's lives. Some of us here have been brought up in Christian homes. You've seen your parents honoring Christ. You've seen... You've seen the word of God at work in their lives. So if you don't repent of your sins, you're in trouble. You're guilty of, of, of sin against God, which is compounded, aggravated by the fact that you knew about him. Now then, we come then to the third thing. He says, your kingdom will be taken away from you. Coming back to that verse, or verse, now to verse 28. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So for, for Belshazzar, this meant that his kingdom, his literal physical kingdom was going to be taken away from him. Well, what's the equivalent for us? Well, 
we are not physical kings. But we have been called to be kings and priests to serve God. God said to Adam that he was to have dominion over the earth. And in our own little tiny way, as parents and as employees and as, 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 as workers, we all have a little bit of dominion over our little worlds, don't we? We, you know, we organize our flower beds and we organize our living rooms and we arrange everything else and make it neat and tidy and so on. So we have dominion in, in, in a small, tiny way over little areas of our lives. But that's going to be taken away from us if we don't repent of our sins. Jesus warned his disciples, didn't he? He said, for instance, he said in Mark 9, verse 43, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go into hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If you don't repent of your sins, whatever dominion you once knew will be taken from you. And you'll be thrown into that place of torment. Jesus warned in the, when he talked about his second coming in Matthew 25, what people sometimes call the parable of the sheep and the goat. It's not really a parable, it's an account of the future judgment. But he says about the, the goats, those who are, who are not saved, he says, he will say to them, depart from me, you are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And he says he'll say to them, he, he'll say that, that, that these then will go away to, into the eternal punishment. This is the teaching of Jesus. Jesus warns about these things. And not just Jesus, of course, but many other places in Scripture. Uh, Revelation 14 uh, says, If anyone worships the beast... 14 verse 9 if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand he also will drink of the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of his of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night these worshippers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. So here then are these three words. God says to Belshazzar, your days are numbered. He says to you and me, your days are numbered. He says to Belshazzar, you've been weighed, in the, you've been weighed and found wanting. He says to you and to me, the same. You've been weighed, you've been found wanting. He says... To Belshazzar, your kingdom is going to be taken away from you. And he says to, to you and to me that if we do not repent of our sins, our kingdom 
will be taken from us. What should we do? Well, what we should do is to repent and come to Christ. The tremendous thing about when God tells people about coming judgments, he does so with the aim and the purpose that they should repent and come to him. Now, Belshazzar didn't do so. But there was another king, the king of an earlier empire, the king of, 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 of Nineveh, who did, king of the, the head of the Assyrian empire. He did. And he called a fast and he prayed and he humbled himself and God relented. And God didn't bring on him that judgment. And you and I can be saved if we will turn from our sins and if we will put our trust in Jesus. Because a few hundred years after these events were happened, the eternal Son of God came to this world. He lived a perfect life. And he died on the cross in the place of sinners. He went through hell in the place of sinners. And our sins were placed upon him. And this means that if you trust in Jesus, where you are wanting, you've been weighed in the scales and are found to be wanting, what happens is that God places into the positive side of the scales not your righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. And that righteousness of Jesus completely outweighs all of your sins. And you are counted as righteous in his sight. But you must come to him. You must trust in him. You must realize your need. You must realize you're a sinner. And you must come to him and trust him for that eternal life. So as we conclude, we've seen that the writing was on the wall for Belshazzar. And the writing is on the wall for you and for me what will your response be will you be like Belshazzar who basically just ignored what Daniel said oh make him the highest ruler he just oh thanks very much right you can be you can be the vice ruler of, of, of Babylon took absolutely no notice at all he hardened his heart had a, few, a, a little bit of fear for a while but that soon went away Or will you be like that earlier king, the king of Nineveh? Will you humble yourself? Will you say, I am a sinner. I have broken God's laws. And my life is weighed in the balance and found wanting. Yes, I will be dying soon. Yes, if I don't repent, I'll be in hell. I deserve hell a thousand times over. But God, please save me through Jesus Christ. If you will do that, you'll be saved. So I beg of you, don't harden your heart. Don't, oh, just go, don't sort of say, oh, he's just going about hell today. No. Listen. Take heed. 
and act upon it. Soften your heart. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and receive the salvation that he gives. And having been saved, then live for him. Repent every day and take the opportunity, to, every opportunity you have to speak to others about the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I hope and pray that God will use what has been said to speak to all of our hearts. We'll have a, a few moments now of quiet where we can, each of us, make our own response to the Lord. And I would encourage you, if you've never asked the Lord to save you, that even as we're having this quiet moment of prayer now, that you come to Christ and you ask him to save you. Um, and uh, then we will, um, after you've had a few moments of quiet prayer, we will then sing our last prayer.